I will be speaking to you today from Exodus, some excerpts. Is this microphone on? Okay. And we'll be covering, summarizing somewhat, chapter 1 up through maybe chapter 15, but the last chapters approaching 15 will be pretty skimpy. But uh, shall we pray so that you can be seated? Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful that we can raise our voices all the way to heaven because whether we're here or whether we're being raptured or whether we're studying or whether we're cooking, you are a very present help in time of need. And we're so thankful that you are near and that you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I thank you that my brother is here today who is one of the most blessed and generous people I've ever known. I thank you for blessing me with him through all of these years. And may you open hearts this morning, Father, to your truth, and may we have the concentration and the realization that God the Holy Spirit, who is unseen, is here, and that he is indeed the teacher. And if we are to learn, it is because we are looking to him and realizing that every word of God is pure, and that you, Lord, are a shield to those of us that are wise enough to realize the Holy Spirit teaches us and reveals truth. Thank you for the privilege we have to live by truth. And you said that your word is truth. And wherewithal shall a young man, to you young people out here, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? It is by taking heed thereto according to his holy word. May God add his blessings to his word today because it will certainly not return void. And may every word that's uttered be to the glory of our amazing and unique Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, even our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Exodus chapter 1. I want to thank you, Bill, for inviting me. I consider it a high privilege to be here at Grace Church, speaking to you that are here, and for those that are in the uh, TV audience or in, or in the, uh, uh, I guess it's the internet audience. I just pray that God will bless you as we, as we open this word and proclaim the truth as we know it. In Exodus chapter 1, the names of the 12 patriarchs are mentioned. And by the way, may I say, I had thought about recapping for you the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and 2 and 3, and, and then cover the tribulation period very briefly, and then get down to the millennial reign of Christ, and um, then uh, realize that there is an eternal state, that there's a great city hovering above uh, the earth, and that it comes down. And after it comes down, people are going to be judged because they have to stand before God's throne and they have to give an account. And those people that stand before him are without Christ. They're without hope. So at the end of this white throne judgment, those people that stand before him are thrown into the lake of fire where Satan and um, the two uh, false prophets are. They've been there a thousand years, by the way. But anyway... We'll talk about that maybe if I have another opportunity. But today, I was compelled to go back to the book of Exodus 
and to examine just a little bit uh, Moses. Moses was an amazingly strong person. He was, he was a person, he had three segments of 40s. He had a 40-year period of time when he was just a little baby, and then that 40-year period was lived under the tutelage of his mother and also the Pharaoh's daughter. 40 years. He didn't amount to much. He didn't. For 40 years. Maybe in the 39th year, he became aware of who and what God is, and, and God revealed to him the truth of his word, and he placed his faith in the person of Jesus Christ. But starting out, he is in water, soaked, sitting there for some period of time, and he's a little baby. Now, why, why is he in the water? He was placed there by his mother. She didn't, she didn't mean any harm. Well, it's because this Pharaoh had realized that these 12 patriarchs, they'd all died off. Their sons and their daughters, they were no longer there anymore. So this great voice from Joseph no longer echoed in the hearts and minds of these people. Their memory had faded. So this Pharaoh wasn't impressed with what Joseph did. He was impressed with himself. He wasn't impressed with God. He wasn't impressed with God's word. But he, he said, these people, they don't believe what we believe. They have this some kind of a foreign God that they, they are worshiping. They don't believe, the, they don't believe in the, our gods. But the problem is that these people who don't believe in our gods are, a, are becoming a threat because they are spreading like wild locusts all over our land. And I'm looking at these people, and I know they don't like me, but I, they're not me. I'm the Pharaoh. I don't like them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of whittle them down, and here's how I'm going to do it. It was a plan similar to what's happening in our country, like abortions, you know. You think about what's happening with abortions. You shrink down the people that are going to be born in America with everybody that's coming over here supplanting us and growing a particular kind of race that basically we're not, but we're, coming, we're becoming an admixture of humanity. But I think it's the sa Satan's plan to reduce us down, those of us that believe in Jesus Christ, those of us that love this country, and to let us shrink and those that come in take over. And they're going to become so great that we're going to lose our voice. And I think you all know that right now, are we not losing our freedoms? We are most certainly losing our freedoms, and I don't think it's even started well. But when it happens, I believe it's going to happen fast. So this Pharaoh said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to diminish these people, and I want you midwives to do this. When a boy baby is born, I want you to kill that boy baby. Let the girls go. Kill the boy baby. So these midwives were very sensitive to that, and they said, you know, we're going to listen to God. I guess they got together with a couple of them. They, we're going to listen to God. We're not going to do it. And here this Pharaoh had 
issued this order, kill the firstborn or the, baby, the, or the male babies. And so the nation, I mean, the, the Jews, the Israelites continued to grow. And he knew something was wrong. So he called the midwives back in and he said, he said, hey, I told you to kill those boy babies. Why haven't you done it? And they said, well, the problem is this. These Hebrews are strong. They are amazing people. They're like leather. They're flexible. They shrink. They swell. And you, we can't do much with them because when somebody says, did you see, do you know that that person over there is pregnant and a baby, a person is coming over here and over there? And so when they say, come and help us deliver this child, these Hebrew people are so strong that what happens is the baby is born before we even get there. That's how prolific they are. That's how healthy they are. They are an amazing people. We cannot do much about this growth. So he said, okay, what I'm going to do, if it can't happen that way, my abortion route, if that doesn't work, here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to discharge one or two people. I'm going to charge these people that are in my kingdom. I want you to be responsible. Personal responsibility. I want you to be responsible. And when one of the Hebrew babies is born, I, uh, boy, I want you to kill it. And so that's how they were diminished. And so what happened was that this was coming toward uh, Moses. And his mother said, well, we've got to do something. But you know what? They did not fear the command of the king. They said, okay, we're going to do something here. We're going to protect our child. You know how mothers are. When their child is threatened, mothers become very, very protective, and they will do anything to spare that child. So they ignored the king's order. And so, so and uh, uh, Moses' mother was from the tribe of Levi. So was the husband that she married. And so she says, I'm going to protect my child. So she made this little cradle, pitched it with tar, and, and so it would... Uh, float, and there he is floating in the Nile. Well, Pharaoh's daughter comes down, uh, maybe on Saturday, Saturday night, <laughs> Pharaoh's daughter comes down, and she sees this little thing floating in the water. She said, well, what is that? Well, I don't know. That's sort of what some of the, these Hebrew people do. They hide their babies. It could be one of them. So, Let's go see. So she comes down. She's got a little entourage with her. Extract that thing, and let's see what it is. So she pulls it up, and wow. You know who it is? It's Moses. <laughs> Gives me chills to say that. That is Moses. She doesn't know that that's Moses. She doesn't know who Moses is or what Moses is going to do. You and I know. And can you imagine if you could have seen Moses as an infant like that? and realize how God would use him, we would be absolutely astonished. But there it is. It's Moses. So what happens? Well, he's extracted, and the sister is watching all of this take place, Moses' sister. And she says, okay, let's And she's hiding. She says, now there's Pharaoh's daughter. Looks like she's going to take that baby, and looks like she's favorable to that baby. So she says, yeah, I'm going to take this baby right with me. So she does. She takes the baby, and the sister says, oh, ma'am, could I, could I ask you something? Do, uh, do, you, do you want to take care of this baby? 
I think we can get some real help here that you'll really like. Okay, what's that? Well, let me go to, to the, one of the Hebrew women and see if one of them will help. Guess who she went to? To the mother. The mother of Moses. And she says, Pharaoh's daughter would like your help. Would you mind helping her and nurse this little baby? Well, that was her baby. And the, queen, and, and the Pharaoh's daughter said, okay, well, tell her to come on and start taking care of this baby. It'll be her son, and I will pay her for it. That's like, be, like being on welfare, welfare without even applying for it. <laughs> so she said, I will take care of this baby. I'd be glad to. So she nurtures. She takes care of Moses. And I guess uh, the Pharaoh's daughter comes in and does her little due diligence from time to time. And she says, okay, this is going to be my son. Well, Moses is a little baby. What's he going to do? He just, he's just lying there. And he grows, and he grows, and he grows. And they said, oh, okay, when he's eight, nine years old, like you are son today, eight years old, he said, you know who that is? That's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. After a while, you know, he heard that over and over and over again. He said, you know, I don't like the way that sounds. I am the son of this one who raised me, and that's mama. My mama is the one that's really doing this. Now, I don't know the conversation between mama and between Moses, but you know she knew that was her son, and he had to understand at some point that that's her mother. So here mama is raising Moses, as it should be, and she's paid to do it. How about that? That's like a miracle, wouldn't you say? Seems to me that if it's not, it ought to be. <laughs> so... So, so Moses grows and grows and grows. And to my amazement, as I was studying this, you know, he was doing this for 40 years. 40 years, and he's still hanging on to mama? Well, he's still hanging around. He hadn't done anything. So they say, well, what's going to happen to this guy? Well, you know that mom, being a Hebrew, has already influenced Moses. He knows about the... the, the um, the, the, his, his uncles and his brothers and, and relatives coming from Canaan and coming into this uh, Goshen. And it's like the mother tells stories about that. So he gets pretty familiar with the distinction between the Hebrews and the Hebrew history and also the Egyptians. And so while he's not a believer at this point, I think at probably around 39, he probably became a believer. Okay, things changed. So he wakes up one morning, he walks around with this stuff in his mind of what his mother said. His mother's, you know, mother's influence is pretty, pretty, pretty sharp and pretty deep. You mothers know that, don't you? Hey, what my mother said, so many things, right, Jim? Ring in my ears. You know, the songs she used to sing, ring in my ears. She's the one that told me, Bill. Bobby, I was in prison. She said, Bobby, I just want you to know we have been saved. Now here, Bobby, I didn't know anything about that. It scared me. I didn't, really didn't want to hear anything about it. But you know what it did? It rang in my ears a, a song and a tune that I never, never forgot. And so when I was being charged with the armed robbery, one of the little voices that came into my head was, Bobby, we've been saved. It was one of the things that opened the door 
so that I would see, wow, I'm not saved. I never thought about it. I was 21 years old, and I was one of the wildest guys, one of the most rebellious people, one of the most hard-headed people you've ever seen. It's going to be my way, and I didn't care about the repercussions. I'm just going to do it, and I did, and I took my blows. Believe me, I did, and I got, and I deserved every blow that I took, but mother's voice, mother's, stayed in my head, and so what I did, I stopped, I looked, I listened, and I considered, and I opened the Word of God, and I learned how to become a Christian because I worked really hard at understanding what a Christian really was and is, and you know what I learned? Knowing nothing about it, but reading the Word of God every day, a Gideon Place Bible, learn that Jesus Christ is not just a pretty good guy that went through history that was, suffered a lot of pain and problems, but that he was the only Savior that descended from heaven, was a magnificent, perfect person, and hung on the cross and died for me. And I have the privilege and the opportunity to work and to see the glory that comes from his word. And you see, after a while, you stay in the word, you'll see a cross coming at you. It's the cross. It's the central point in history. It's Jesus Christ coming from heaven's glory, living on this earth, and making more impact in those 33 years than any human being has ever done in, in all of our history. So I read that, and I thought, that's for me. So I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. But before I did, I said, God, please, please, I don't know anything. I am trusting you to help me to understand in a clear as crystal way that Jesus really is the only way to heaven. And if I'm overlooking something, God, please, please show me now. And this is why I make such a, an effort, whether I talk, I talk to an individual or whether Bill and I have conversations, it's just like, here's the cross. What do we preach? We preach what Jesus says, John 6, 47, he that believeth on me, what happens? Has everlasting life. If you don't believe on him totally and completely as the object of your faith, you do not have eternal life because it only comes by believing in Jesus Christ. So, and I thought, well, let me see. Read this, and does it, does, does it say, believe on Jesus Christ, but then again, there are these things that you need to do. Well, listen, I learned very rapidly that the doing was done, the victory was won, that righteousness is in Jesus Christ, and I could appropriate that righteousness by responding to what Jesus said in John 6, 47. He that believeth on me has everlasting life. And you know, I did that. And you know what I thought? That's enough. I, and I searched, and I searched, and I searched, and I said, if there's anything else, I want to find it. I searched, and I read. I read the book of John probably 20 times. It was, the message was so wonderful and so clear. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me has everlasting life. So, so very thankful that God gave me a clear understanding of the gospel. And since then, I must admit, I have been very militant about uh, the gospel. And if I hear or see anybody saying anything that you need to do that will add to what Jesus Christ has accomplished that you may appropriate by faith when you believe in him, I have a real problem with that. 
And also, when you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have the foolish gall to believe that you can improve on what he has already done to you in the point of time when you believe, then you are a fool. Because what you're saying is that you are believing that your behavior pattern is going to appropriate what Jesus Christ's perfect sacrifice did completely for you on the cross. So I've been very careful about, is anybody, at first I didn't know very much, but I would sit in the church, I'd always take notes, try to be on the front row because I wanted to learn. And I think, let me see, I know what I did to be saved. I know what God did for me so that I can understand what I needed to do to be saved. And that was to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ over and over again in John. That's what it said. And I did that. And any time I hear a message now where I think anybody is front-loading, which is, Bill said, I said that before, front-loading the gospel, that means that you are putting yourself in to add to or to have, to have credit by what you do to appropriate eternal life. The only credit that you have that's going to mean anything is when you realize that you have no credit and when you believe and understand all the credit is in Jesus Christ. And when you believe in him at a point in time, that's when you have eternal life. Let me ask you, have you done that? Thank you. Have you done that? You say, well, I don't know. I'm kind of confused. Well, you don't need to be confused. When, when people came to Jesus, it was very clear. He didn't, he didn't preach some long sermon that, hang around here, I'm not through yet, I've got I to talk a little bit more. Sirs, what must we do that we might work the work? That on the Sea of Galilee, these great crowds followed him. He had fed them, and, uh, and uh, they were so impressed with him. He had created miracles. He had walked on water, you know, and uh, he got into a boat that wasn't even, he, he arrived on a boat that wasn't even there. So here he is, here he is preaching to the people of Galilee. Huge hordes followed him. Who wouldn't? If, what do you think he would do? If you, if you heard that Jesus Christ is speaking, this one that's doing all these miracles, hey, they say he's raised people from the dead, and he's caused the blind to be healed, I mean, to see, and he's caused the deaf to hear, but hey, he will be here right downtown Nashville, maybe the Ryman Auditorium, it won't hold everybody that will be there. They would gather, gather, and gather just to hear him. So this great crowd had gathered. He'd fed them. They gathered, and then one, one from the crowd said, Lord, let me get this straight. Let me see. You're preaching the word. I'm trying to understand. And I've been talking to the Pharisees. You know, they are real religious people. I know. I've got a brother that's a Pharisee, and I've got a grandfather that was a Pharisee. They are real religious. You know what that is? It's a Greek word called religio, religio. And it means that man, and put yourself in this equation. What are you doing? Man, by man's effort, is seeking to gain the favor or the approbation of God by their works. That's the exact same thing the Pharisees did. They had to perform and complete and understand and apply and live by and execute 613 laws before they themselves would say, okay, that's enough. Now, they would say, that'll make you righteous if you can do that. How many do you think they did, Bill? Probably one. And then they fell off the wagon. And you know what we do? 
We become a Christian, and get back to the Pharisees in a second. We become a Christian, and we think, okay, let me see, what is it that I need to do? Well, first of all, you need to understand the doing is done. You need to rest in what has been done for you. Now, you say, well, what can I do for the Lord? Well, that means an awful lot. But if you start doing good, and you, you never fail for the rest of your life, guess what that won't do? It will not perfect you, will it, Bill? It will not give you life. It will not make the life that you already have by believing in Christ any better. Any better. You know why? Because it's perfection in a person. Christ, not in you. When I talk about perfection, don't look at yourself. We talk about perfection, we must look at the unique, perfect one, and the only perfect one is the King of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Pharisees, they were pretty pompous. They studied hard. They had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. That's why you couldn't even become a Pharisee until you were 40 years old, right, Bill? You had to be, and you had to memorize the Torah. And you know what all of it was? It was great, the first five books of the Bible. We, we, can, we can read them. They're wonderful. We can learn a lot. Kind of hard to understand when Jesus Christ has already been on the scene. But if you really understand and begin to open up the prophecy and the statements, uh, the things that happened to, to Moses and all of the, 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 the prophets, uh, Jesus Christ reveals himself. He makes himself known to these people that want to know him. So the Pharisees had to memorize the first five books of the Bible and the Torah. That's probably why they, you couldn't be a Pharisee until you were 40. It, had, it probably took that many years, right, to memorize and to do all that and to be qualified to be a Pharisee. To be a what? A Pharisee? Did I say Christian? No, they weren't Christians. They were scoffers, they were unbelievers, and they hated Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Pharisees, religious people. What is religion? Man by man's effort seeking to gain the favor of the approbation of God. What is legalism? Man attempting to gain God's favor by their actions and by what they do, by their behavior pattern. Your behavior pattern, you may be nice, but I can tell you, when you put your behavior pattern up against the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, you're going to fade like a fallen leaf. You can't stand, you cannot compete with the righteousness that's not in you, but that's in Jesus Christ. The righteousness is not here. Righteousness is not there. Righteousness is in the person of Christ. Do you understand how important that is? He is our righteousness. But what happened with the Pharisees, they studied, no doubt, they had to study. They studied, they studied, they studied, and they would be confused, but they would just study some more, and the more they studied, the more blinded they became. You know why? Because they were blinded by religion. What is religion? I'll say it again. It is man by man's effort seeking to gain the favor or the approbation of God by those efforts not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's by his mercy that he saved us. For by grace are you saved. Everybody knows this verse. Grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you want to examine whether you're saved or not, try to assess and inventory, what is it that I'm doing that maybe God is going to bless me a little bit better now that I'm a Christian? Make it a little bit better. I want to make sure I'm going to heaven, so I want to make sure I do these seven things. I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't dance, I don't curse, I don't go to the beaches where people, people are half naked. I don't do these things, so I may, hey, aren't I okay? Not because you don't do these five things. What about if you do these things that the Pharisees had to do, 613, what if you do them? Is that going to make you a little bit better? Not going to make you any better as far as appropriating righteousness is concerned. You know why? Because righteousness is not there. Righteousness is not in a behavior pattern. It is in the one who perfectly behaved, was tempted in all points like we are, and never succumbed to the temptation. He was perfect. Only a perfect person can do that, Bob. And he was perfect. Now what about, do you know of anybody else that you think is a pretty good person? How have they done? Well, they did pretty good for a while. And you know what? He was on fire. That's the word they use. This person was on fire for the Lord. Well, yeah, you, you know, a lot of people get on fire because they believe what the legalistic pastors are saying. Listen, here's what you got to do. And I remember this one pastor telling me, Bob, I preach on sin. Now, if you're going to come to this church, you've got to realize that I'm going to be preaching on sin. You know what he preached on? No smoking. If you're saved, you won't be smoking. You're a new man in Christ Jesus. No smoking, no drinking, no dancing, no cursing, no mixed bathing, no, no going where the girls are, Bob. You just don't do that. So no smoking, no drinking, no cursing. I said, well, let's see. I used to do all that stuff. Yeah, it got me in a lot of trouble. No doubt about it. But hey, now I'm a Christian. And here this guy is barking at me and everybody else saying, you got to do these five things. If you do these, you're going to be okay. That's not true. You know why? That is a legalistic approach that says, sin not and God will bless you. Listen, if you're not blessed in Jesus Christ, your sinning not will not improve your way to heaven. You know why? Neither is there salvation in any other. You hear that? Don't know if you've ever understood this in your life or not. Neither is there salvation in any other. That means any person that's ever lived, the very best, kings, princes, whoever, the very best, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So are you looking for salvation in anything other than Jesus Christ? If you are, you will be blind and naked because salvation is in nothing outside of Jesus Christ. It is not in your church membership. It is not when you're back in the in back row crying and this preacher's harping on these five sins that shock some and others that don't shock, but shock some. And when you get down to the end, he said, okay, I'm going to give an invitation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. 
Now, those of you that have heard this message, now you know how to go to heaven. And I'm going to tell you, you got to remember this. You got to accept Jesus. That's right. But you got to live it. That's a lie. It's not your living. It's his life that he gives you when you believe in him. And if you believe in him, sure, you then are connected to the, a source of power that's outside of you, that comes inside of you, that energizes you. And then you see divine viewpoint. You don't, you don't proceed along and please God because you've decided to abstain from a few things and, and then you've decided to embrace some good things. Listen, God says grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. He says grow up and learn of me and I will feed you. I will give to you. You can drink the waters of the fountains of life and your soul will be nourished, it will be bathed. So this preacher says, okay, I've preached these things. I don't know where you are, but if you're doing this, if you're doing that, this, that, and that, and everybody's all scrunched up. Yeah, that's me, that's me. How does he, he, is he taking notes, following me around? I've heard that said. You know, you must be following me around because, boy, you really hit me today. You've heard that? You got me today. I don't know what to say. Well, he said, well, here's what you need to do. If, if, if this is you, one, two, three, four, five, and sometimes seven, these things, you're out of control. What you need to do is surrender this. All right. I surrender all. I surrender all. Play, Sue. Play this, play this song. I surrender all. What you need to do all to Jesus, I surrender. And what he does, there's no options to this. Listen, there's people on the back row that are willing to listen to what you got to say. Some people on the front row may listen to what you have to say. But the person on the back row, if you give the gospel, they can understand it if you give it clearly. But if you make it ambiguous and say you got to add this to it, but then you can be saved. And then now once you're saved now, you got to live it. you got to keep it. You can't live it. It takes the energizing power of God, the Holy Spirit. It takes growth. The more you grow, the more you learn, the more you produce, the more you serve. You serve out of knowledge, not out of ignorance. And ignorance is following some law that you think is going to sustain you or make better what Jesus Christ did for you when you believed in him. So this preacher says, okay, you've heard this message. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to preach it. I'm going to tell it like it is. If you're this, if you do that, you're on your way to hell. And what you need to do, every head bowed and every eye closed. Okay, everybody. Uh, okay, now, raise your hand if you, if you heard this message and you know you may not be going to heaven. Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Say, okay, every head bowed, every eye closed. All the Christians are doing this. They say, who is that? People raise their hands for prayer. They don't know that Christians peak. They do. I want to know who that is. I need to pray for. No, you're just so curious that you couldn't stand it. Okay? So, so every head bowed, every eye closed. Okay? Now, what we're going to do, play so, what we're going to do now, have this song, and in this song, if Jesus walked up to Golgotha's Hill, 600 steps to get to, to the cross, carried that cross. If he did that, surely you can walk this 100-foot aisle for him. Does that make any sense? Jesus walked up the Golgotha's hill and died on the cross so that he could 
pay the penalty for sin, and he did. And then you say, Bob, it's not that easy. Man, you're not telling it all. I'm telling all I know to tell you in this 50 minutes. What did the thief on the cross do? He said, this one thief was railing and said, man, this guy here, he's a, he's a charlatan. He's just going to die like all of He's going to die like a dog. But here I am, you know. I don't know. I don't know. This man's unique. He's different. Lord, he says to Jesus, this thief, remember me. What did he say? I'm going to walk that aisle. I'm going to pray for people. I'm going to give. I'm going to do better. Hanging on the cross, dying. He looked at the only hope, and that was Jesus Christ on the cross. He said, Lord, Lord. Can you imagine? Here you are on this cross knowing you're about to die in minutes. And he looks at Jesus who was dying. But he believed he was the Son of God. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know what Jesus said? He said, now, hey, listen, you're not where you can pray. You're on the cross. You're dying. You can't do anything for me. But I can do something for you. So what he did, he said, Lord, remember me. It wasn't a long prayer. It wasn't learning 613 laws that you had to obey. It wasn't walking an aisle when half the Christians were peeking to see if you raised your hand for prayer. And so at the end, what does the preacher do? He says, okay, listen, Jesus walked for you. You need to walk this out. You need to come down here and confess him before men. A preacher did me that way. I was just a little, I was a 21-year-old kid. I didn't know anything. But I knew I'd been saved, okay? And I'll tell you what I did. I learned, studied. People would see me getting down on my knees and praying at night in front of 80 prisoners that were in the same room I was in for a period. And they'd say, hmm, what's what that guy doing? Well, I was praying. I didn't know what else to do. And I read the Bible every single day. And every time I got a chance, I'd tell somebody what I knew, and that is believe in Jesus Christ. Some did, some didn't. Most did not. So, Say, okay, here it is. I'm going to give you an invitation. He's going to give you an invitation. Jesus has already said, I give the invitation, not you, requiring somebody to walk a hundred foot aisle. And then what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to confess him there. Well, how in the world can you confess the Lord until you know him? He gives you the power, the ability, the wherewithal to confess him if you grow in grace and live your life for him. That's confession. It's not confession to be saved. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, and your life ought to be a life of confession. Okay, listen. I see my time's up. I'm telling you, I'm just getting started. I really am. You know, I've got six pages of notes. You know how much I've used? None. <laughs> Maybe another time, Bill. I'd like to talk to you about the book of Revelation, too, and, you know, here and there. Uh, you know, maybe some treetop information. But listen, you've been patient with me. Bill, you've allowed me to be here and to speak. I love you, and I love you, and I love so many of these people that are here. It's a wonderful church, group of wonderful people. Functioning people are necessary to keep things going. You know why? Because when Mr. Sasser gets up and he proclaims, he says about the same thing I'm saying. He said, Jesus Christ is the only way. 
And, and it's not a preacher saying, all right, now come on down here. Nobody, come on down. Okay, let's sing that again. Okay, one more time. And they sing it five, six times. He's already said, you've got to come down the aisle. No, no options, you've got to come down here. You've got to confess the Lord before people. And I told what I was going to tell you, but in the, when I was in jail and learning the Word of God, I told a lot of people about Jesus. All that I knew to say, I didn't know much. But when I came to this little legalistic church, and I love this pastor, by the way. He's dead now, but he was became a very good friend of mine, but he was somewhat legalistic and required all these things and preached this hell-burning, fire-burning information. Well, he said, Bob, what you need to do, he said, you need to come down front like I'm asking all these other people, confess the Lord before people. I said, I said brother, I've already confessed him before people. I, t- I have talked to prisoners who are hard as nails, hard as a rock. I've done that. Well, yeah, I know, I know, but, but you need, the Bible says you need to confess. I said, I have confessed him. He says, well, will you come down and do it for me? I said, if I come down, I'll be doing it for you. And I said, I don't feel right about that. Okay, hey, thank you, people. Shall we close in prayer? You want to say anything? Okay. You want me to? Father, thank you so much. We know that your word does not return void, but it accomplishes that which you please, and it prospers in the thing whereto you sent it. You've exalted your word above all of your name, Psalm 138, verse 2. You have magnified your word, and God, may your word today be the focus of our understanding, and may we see that as we follow your word, your word of truth, that we will not be misled, but we will be led to the only Savior, to the only way to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you've given me this short period of time just to make these utterances, and I just thank you so very much for these that are here listening and these that are present here listening. May May your word, Father, saturate every soul, And may it change lives because people believe it, because people love it, and because people stay in it and keep in it going, going deeper and deeper, learning more today than they knew yesterday and adding to the word of truth. Neither shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. God, your word has been sent today as best I know to proclaim it, and I pray, and I know that you will bless. And may souls and lives be touched, and may your people be challenged and edified because you've touched them with your word. I pray this to the glory of my Savior and your Savior if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.